Good evening. I think everyone who held a mic today has said who I am, but I think it's proper that I also introduce myself. Um, my name's Than. I'm on staff with Salt Company, and it is an honor to just to be here with you guys and to have the privilege of uh, preparing something to share with you guys. I was actually thinking about this. This wasn't planned. I was having a conversation with someone, and I was like, even in like a conversation, I feel honored if I have like an opinion and someone listens to me, let alone like 50 people giving me their undivided attention for 45 minutes, like, or 20 actually today. Uh, like that's a, that's like a pretty big honor. So I'm excited to, to share, um, and I'm honored to just be here with you guys. Hey, if it's your first time to Salt Company, uh, welcome. We are super glad you guys made it out and chose to spend your Thursday evening with us um, down on Parish Road. Um, We've got a lot of special stuff planned. Chris kind of laid out what somersault looks like. So we've got six somersaults this summer, and we're going to be going through the book of Galatians. So there's six chapters in Galatians. There's six weeks of somersault, so it perfectly works out. Um, Tonight we're going to be going over Galatians 1. So if you guys have your Bibles, that's where we're going to mostly be hanging out today. Um, Yes. So um, I'm just going to pray again, and we will... Jump right in and get started with spiritual algebra for Galatians 1. Uh, Holy Spirit, Jesus, would you, would you be with us this evening? Would your spirit speak? Um, would you give us ears to hear what the spirit has to say? Jesus, I pray that what you want people to know would be heard and that you would use, use the words in the paper um, to communicate what you want us to know about you, Jesus. We want to use your book as instruction on how to live well and follow you well. Would you help us to do that? Amen. So we're going over Galatians this whole summer. So I'll do a brief synopsis over the book of Galatians, um, but every week we're also just going to continue to go back about what, what, what are we talking about? What is this book? So Galatians is an epistle written by Paul, and we actually think that this book was the first uh, book of the New Testament ever written. So it was written before all the Gospels, all the other epistles, and it was written by Paul uh, to the church in Galatia. And so he wrote this book as correction, instruction for the church there. And when he starts in verse, uh, chapter 1, he, he starts all of his epistles with Paul, an apostle of Christ, grace and peace be with you, a servant of Christ, all this stuff. And then in most of them, he says something like, uh, in all my thoughts toward all of you, I'm filled with joy or like, Every time I think about you guys, I'm stoked because you're doing the gospel well, and here's some pointers. Or he's like, man, I love you guys. You're awesome. I love thinking about you. You're on my team. But in Galatians, after his G and P, the grace and peace be with you, he says, I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting the one who has called you into the grace of Christ. And he is not saying any of this nice stuff. So there's like immediately a tone of kind of just like, whoa, he's getting right at him. So yeah, flip open to Galatians 1, 6 through 10, and as we read, um, there's kind of like this tone of like, what is going on? What are you guys doing? So I'm just going to read this out loud. Um, It should be on the screen too with with us. So, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are even trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, now I say again, 
If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Um, yeah, so we're going to be talking about, about mostly this section in Galatians. And Paul is talking about this group of people in the Galatian church that we call the Judaizers, who were, were these Christians who were telling the new converts that they had to obey and uphold uh, certain like Old Testament customs. Particularly, we see uh, they're talking about circumcision, upholding certain holy days, and um, like going to the Jerusalem, the temple in Jerusalem, a few times a year. So like they're forcing these new converts um, into these old customs. But before we before we get into that, I kind of want to ask you guys a question. Um, have you ever put your trust in something and it was like it was wrong? Have you ever put your trust in the wrong thing? Like maybe you, you leaned on something that you thought was going to hold your weight and it wasn't, or you thought something was a good idea and you trusted it and it turned out to be like a mistake. Um, yeah, so I think that's kind of like what we're talking about, but the story I have is uh, we need to put our trust in the right thing because if we put our trust in the wrong thing, it can let us down. So one time I was climbing this tree in uh, Germany. I had the opportunity to travel to Germany for Bible school when I was 17. And we were playing this weird game of hide and seek. And I was trying to run away from some people or tag or something. And I started climbing this tree and it's probably 30 feet tall. And I got away from the people, but I kept climbing. And there's this thing called tree tipping. Have you guys heard of tree tipping? No? Basically, if you climb a tree, if you get to the top, sometimes it will like bend over and like set you down on the ground and you let go and it shoots you back. It, the tree shoots back up and you're still here on the ground. And so I was trying to like get to the top of this tree and I was probably 20 feet up. And so the tree is like wobbling a little bit, but it's not like anywhere near enough to like bend and let me off at the ground. So I'm like, okay, I got to keep climbing. So I'm probably like 20, 22, 23 feet up. And I like take another grab of this tree to get myself up. And the whole top of the tree just breaks off and falls to the ground. And I was still hanging on to the tree. I, like, I landed and was still holding on to the tree. And I was like, this is horrible. I wasn't, it wasn't hurt too bad, but I was fine. But I was putting my trust of, of like my well-being, my safety into this tree. And so I think tonight as we're talking about what are we putting our trust in, Joe kind of alluded to it, Chris and Justin did too. It's, it matters a lot of what we put our trust in. Um, even as Paul was saying, he was using this hard word, a curse. This is strong language, a curse. There's a curse associated with putting our trust in the wrong thing, but also the consequences of putting our trust in something that's not trustworthy or not able to support us, uh, the consequences can hurt really bad. Um, so, yeah, guys, would you mind bringing up this whiteboard? The title for this message is called Spiritual Algebra, and that should be clear here in just a minute. Um, so as we are studying Galatians today, I've got three main points. Point number one is that pseudo-gospels add or take away from the one true gospel. The second point of the message is that salvation, true salvation, is found in Jesus alone. And the third and final point is that the gospel gift is 100% unmerited. So that's the outline that we're going to follow. These are the main points that we're going to look at in Galatians. After that, we're going to talk about why is it hard to to really believe this and live like this sometimes. What are the barriers of doing this well? And then after that is application. And then just like Chris said, we're going to do some small groups. So let's just jump right in with point one. Pseudo-gospels add or take away from the true gospel. 
So Paul is talking about these Judaizers, this group that has taken these new Christian converts who are Gentiles. So the Gentiles are anyone who isn't a Jew. Anyone who's not a Jew is a Gentile. If you guys are not a descendant of Abraham, you're a Gentile. Um, so the Jews, the Jews are God's holy people historically in the Old Testament, and they were set apart, and they were marked by circumcision. So circumcision, in case you guys don't know it, I'll speak in uh, uncertain terms. It's a mark on a guy that is basically a, it's setting them apart. So God said, God told his people to be circumcised. He wants them to be marked apart. It's actually like a, it's a beautiful like a, a gift. And so sometimes when we think about infant baptism, the idea is that this group is set apart. So we would say that um, infants don't need to be baptized, but the idea is that they are set apart. It's a group that's distinct for God. Um, so in the Mosaic Covenant, this old covenant, God said, be circumcised. And this group called the Judaizers is telling these converts who are Gentiles, they said, hey, you have got to uphold these Jewish customs to be saved. And so they were actually... Um, proposing what Paul is calling a pseudo-gospel. So, pseudo-gospel. This is a fake gospel. This is not the real deal. So this word pseudo is like a pseudonym, is like a fake name that someone writes under. So these pseudo-gospels, and the equation that the Judaizers, this group, is using is Jesus plus, uh, we'll say, Old Testament law equals, um, we'll say, I mean, I forgot the word right now. Salvation. That's the word. Thank you. It's in my notes. So Jesus plus Old Testament law equals salvation. So this is a mathematical equation. Welcome to spiritual algebra. Next week is the 201 course, spiritual geometry. Um, that gets crazy. And then Justin's teaching the trig course. Is that right? <laughs> So this is, this, is a, this is a pseudo-gospel. So it's saying Jesus plus Old Testament law. We'll say circumcision. We'll say um, the holy days, honoring these holy days of the Jewish customs, and then going to Jerusalem, all these things. The Judaizers are forcing these, these converts into to be saved. And Paul is talking to this church in Galatians, and he goes, what is going on? You're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in grace, and you're turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. And he says that if you believe in anything that adds or takes away from the true gospel, you, it's a pseudo-gospel, and you're under the curse. And actually, the word that he used for curse, um, we see, is called anathema, which is this extremely harsh word that's like God's judgment, God's punishment. It's really intense. So when he uses this word, it's, it invokes a lot of intensity in the, the vocabulary. And so oftentimes, these pseudo-gospels they aren't distinct to Old Testament people, right? This isn't something that just the Jews in 49 AD struggled with. This is something that I think we still do, these pseudo-gospels. They kind of look like Jesus and they smell like Jesus, um, but always with these pseudo-gospels, it takes the focus off of Jesus and onto ourselves. It makes more of us than Jesus. And as I was saying, these are not distinct to Old Testament people. We have them today too. Jesus plus blank equals salvation. Jesus plus these extra things. Maybe, maybe some are coming to mind. Jesus plus rules that we don't do, we don't cuss. Jesus plus not cussing. Jesus plus don't drink. Jesus plus tithing 
helping the old lady cross the street, playing in the band five times a month, Jesus plus doing all these good things, which it can be really confusing, and I'm gonna get into that. I wish I would have said a different word there instead. Um, these pseudo-gospels, they smell like Jesus and they look like him, but they are putting the focus more onto us. So back to circumcision. I have to think I'm just going to use a language that can be more clear for the rest of the sermon. It's a mark of the people. And the practice in Galatia was the trust being put in external things. So these Judaizers are saying, put your trust in Jesus and these external or extra things. These external and extra things that we do to put our trust in. We're putting our trust in Jesus and abiding by Old Testament laws. And I think, yeah, more things that it can look like today is, is legalism, a strict obedience to the rules, moralism, always trying to do good. Um, or a flip side of that is asceticism, which is almost rejecting ourselves and denying ourselves pleasure or fun or enjoyment for the sake of spirituality. And I think this could be a part of these pseudo-gospels. It seems good. I don't, deserve, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to have fun. I don't deserve to feel good. Like, I don't want to make a lot of myself just so I can be more spiritual and more like Jesus. And I think, no, it's, it's again, like a pseudo-gospel. It's taking, it's just about Jesus, which leads us to our second point, is that salvation is found in Jesus alone. So the true equation, this is the true gospel. Don't make fun of my handwriting, it's bad. Is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. So this is the true gospel. Salvation is found in Jesus alone. In Galatians 1, it's, it's super clear that Paul wants us to trust in the gospel that he's preaching. Jesus alone. Not any of these, he calls them, perversions of the gospel. It's really no gospel at all. We really shouldn't even call it a pseudo-gospel. We should just call it a pseudo-lie, uh, because he's saying it's not even a gospel. So let's, let's turn quickly to Philippians 3, 3 through 8. Actually, if you don't want to, it's going to be on the screen. Um, this is a little bit of a longer section. This is Paul again, and he's going to be talking about all the things that he's done, these great things that he could add right to his side of the equation, these extra things that we can do. He's going he's gonna to say, these are all the things that I could add to the equation to be salvation, to get righteousness. And then he's going to say that they're worthless at the end. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for... Righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever gains to me now, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. So Paul is again saying in a different book that these extra things that he could add on to himself, Jesus plus being a Pharisee of Pharisees, being zealous, being righteous, for, according to the law, righteous. He's saying, I consider it nothing. I consider it a loss, even, like a negative. It's, it's furthering this idea. It's Jesus alone. We just want to know Jesus. This, 
I want to I wanna kind of prop up Bible memory verse. So a few weeks ago, me and two other salt company guys started trying to do more Bible memory verse mem- uh, working at it. And as I was preparing this, one of the verses that I'm memorizing this week shot into my head, and I thought it was super cool. So if you guys are thinking about doing Bible memory, I would encourage you to do it. Um, the verse that totally goes in line with this is 1 John 5, 11 through 13. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. We see it again in the Scriptures. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. This is, this is in no unclear terms, right? If you do, you're saved. If you don't, you're not. It's just Jesus. There's no ifs or um, conditional statements. We, we even see Jesus referring to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were this righteous group who did, did a lot of good. In the, in the New Testament, Jesus, in Matthew 23, calls them whitewashed tombs. That on the outside, they're given all that they have to the poor, and they're, they're praying out loud in the streets, and they're doing all this good. But on the inside, they're dead, and they're smelly, and they're disgusting and dirty. Whitewashed tombs. This is a disgusting image. And he, he's saying, no, I care more about what's going on inside than what you're doing on the outside. He says, I want you to choose me in your heart and trust me and love me. In Romans 9, 9 and 10, this is a scripture-heavy sermon, apparently. Um, it says, if you believe in your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you confess through the mouth of Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no, there's no extra. Salvation is found in Jesus alone. We don't want to miss out on the real thing, which is a relationship with Jesus for the pursuit of these external actions. These Pharisees that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 23, they missed it. They're trying to be righteous and do good and and earn it and do all these good things. But Jesus says they were dead inside. Super harsh language. And I think think a lot of it is really, really hard to to do, to really believe this and live a life that reflects that, that grace is that salvation is totally just a gift. Because um, I think that receiving gifts like that can be really hard and to just receive it and not earn it. So I think maybe two years ago for Christmas, my in-laws got me this super nice Carhartt jacket. It was, it was really nice. Um, it's my first Carhartt. I, I don't even know how much it cost, but it was super nice. Oh, my gosh. I, I wear it all the time in the winter. It's probably the nicest thing I own right now. And when they gave it to me, I was like, this is unreal. Like, this is the best gift I've ever been given. I, I don't know what to say. I had to accept it because it was a gift, and I couldn't just say no. Like, what are they going to do? They can't, yeah. So I, I accepted it. But immediately, immediately, I, I almost wanted to say, uh, I'll, I'll pay you for it. Like, I feel bad accepting this gift. It's too nice. It's too much, it's too much of a gift. I'll work. I'll come to your house and work every week. Like, what do I do to have to earn this jacket? It's way too nice to accept. I have to earn this. It's too good to accept. And I think the same thing can happen with, with this gift of Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. I think sometimes it, it's, it's too much to accept. It's, it's too nice, which is the third point, that the gospel gift is 100% unmerited. We do not do anything to deserve it, and we can't do anything to deserve it. It's a gift. One of the qualifications for a gift is that it is undeserved. Otherwise, it's not a gift. It's a wage, right? So I think, yeah, it's, it's undeserved. 
Um, one of my favorite authors, Brendan Manning, he's got this quote that he's really famous for. He says that Jesus loves us as we are, not as we ought to be, because we'll never be as we ought to be. So the gospel gift is 100% unmerited. Jesus says, for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we definitely didn't deserve it, Christ gave us this, this gift, this opportunity to accept grace. It reminds me of the story of Barabbas in the New Testament. When Jesus is on trial, um, they swap out Barabbas, this murderer, this insurrectionist leader. Who was, he was guilty, condemned to death. He was going to die. He was on death row. And they swapped him out with Jesus. And it's this incredible image of this substitution, this man who deserved death with Jesus who doesn't. And Jesus gave Barabbas grace, essentially. This idea that Barabbas didn't deserve it. Jesus did. And it is undeserved. This gift is completely unmerited. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is continuing to talk about this. It says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no man may boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus um, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This gift is, is a free gift of God. We, we only have to accept it. I think sometimes it can be really hard to, to do these things. We've got the equations. We've got the spiritual algebra down. We can, we can see clearly Jesus plus nothing. The equation is simple. But I think sometimes it can be really hard to live like this, to truly live like this. I think even for myself sometimes it's hard to say, really for the beautiful Christian life, it's Jesus plus nothing. And, and I think it can be difficult. And Paul, Paul talks about it a little bit, and we want to talk about some barriers for why this can be hard to live like. So Paul says that we can be confused. He used this language in Galatians 1. Um, he says, you are being thrown into confusion by this perverted gospel. So I think we can be confused. We can be deceived, disillusioned, and confused on what might be true. I think we can also be confused on on what might even seem contradictory in the Bible. So these barriers that make it hard could be this, this contrasting idea between faith and works. So we want to have our trust in God, but the Bible seems to say to do a lot of good stuff. Christians do good, right? The Bible seems really, really clear that believers should do a lot of things. We should do good. We should bear fruit. We should never grow tired of doing what is right. We should love each other. We should obey. We should honor our father and mother, right? The list can go on. It's, it's really long. And it can be really confusing of, okay, like I'm, I'm seeing that the Bible says to do a lot of stuff, but then also it says, don't do anything. So what am I supposed to really, what, how do I make heads or tails of this? And I think sometimes in that confusion, it can lead to paralysis or it can lead to um, picking one side or the other and saying, I'm just going to do nothing. Or, or I'll just do, I'll do everything, a lot. Um, and we talked about that earlier. That word would be like legalism, right? But I think... I think what, the, what my understanding is right now that I've, I think is really, is, is that the law is good. These rules and these suggestions and this instruction is really beautiful. It's good. Even the Old Testament law, it was beautiful and God-given and perfect. And it was given to help us, right? We want to do these good things. But what happens is that since we're not perfect, it becomes really confusing and really, really messy. So I, I don't think that means just don't do what the Bible says to do just because we don't need to. But I, what I think the instruction is, is that when we want to think about 
doing good, doing good things, bearing fruit. We'll say bearing fruit is this idea that Christians do good. Good maybe falls behind us. Is the idea that if we're a tree, we bear fruit. So a living thing, a living thing grows up, and as it matures, it can bear fruit. And I think the idea is that sometimes we want to manufacture fruit. We want to just force it. We want to flex and get big and say apples and apples and and we try and just force it to happen, manufacture it out of our own will. But what I think Jesus is saying is that instead of just trying to force it and do these things, we can't, we can't affect his affections for us or our position in him by trying to do anything. What instead he wants us to do is draw near to him, to set our roots down deep into who he says we are and to plant our trees by streams of living water. And so instead of focusing on our fruit, we're supposed to focus on our root. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> so I, I want to talk about that. Part of the confusion for why it might be hard to live a true life of, of, of Jesus plus nothing. And, and I think that oftentimes today we are still super guilty of this, um, even today. Not just this Old Testament stuff. Um, so how are we going to do this? How are we really going to try and live this, this life that's not a pseudo-gospel? We're not living for Jesus plus, Jesus minus, any of these extra things, these external things even. Um, so how are we going to do this? And I think we just got to take a look at ourselves. We got to take a look at ourselves and look at ourselves and understand what, what's going on in our mind and in our heart. And then there's three simple steps. I got them written out. And I use the the devices for helping us remember steps. They all start with the same letter. So step one, how do we do this? We gotta point out the pseudo-gospels. We gotta point out the pseudo-gospels. Even now, I would, I would suggest that a lot of us, even myself, can super often struggle with, man, what am I tempted to believe in and put my trust in? What am I trusting in? What are we doing to try and be more spiritual or closer to God or more holy? Or what are we doing to attempt to be more righteous even? What are we focusing on more in our lives and our relationship with Jesus? Maybe, maybe it's we're trying to appear really spiritual in the eyes of others. And Galatians 1.10 talks about that. Um, I think doing these really good things, serving, serving and doing these wonderful, beautiful things. I mentioned that we can do good things, and that's awesome. And I want us to serve in the church, and I want us to do good and help people cross the street and pay for someone's groceries. But I want us to understand that this does not improve our image in the eyes of God. That he says, no, it's just Jesus. Our righteousness and God's affection can only come from Jesus. It's nothing else. These external things are beautiful, and we want them to just happen as the tree grows, that the fruit will just abound. It's a byproduct. It's not something that the tree focuses on or tries really hard to do. As the tree grows, the fruit just happens. And I think that as, as we grow, these things that we're chasing oftentimes will just appear. This the good things that we want to do. Um, the next step, after we identify these pseudo-gospels, point out the pseudo-gospels, the next step is prove them wrong. This one was kind of hard to find a P word. Prove them wrong. So we're believing these things that are not true about, about the Scripture, about God, about our relationship with Him. The next step is proven wrong. We gotta figure out what does the Bible really say about this? What, where, is a mis- where is there a misunderstanding, a lapse? Um, and if, if there's confusion, 
let's get help. I think there's no shame in trying to talk to someone who's wise, who's been around, um, and asking questions and trying to figure this out. That's proven wrong. Third step, final step in how to live this life with spiritual algebra, knowing that Jesus plus nothing equals salvation, is we got to pray. So I 100% think that the Lord is going to be better and more efficient at changing our hearts than we are. I think he's been doing it for a lot longer, and he probably knows his way around our hearts a little better than we do. So I think in any attempt that we want to try and change or live a better life, it probably should involve asking for help from Jesus. We want to pray that he would redirect, redirect how, we, how we think about our relationship with him, that he would transform us and help us to see more clearly of really what, what, what we're trying to live for, how we're, what we're putting our trust in. What are we putting our trust in? So with these next steps in mind, um, we're going to break up into some small groups. So if you guys came with some buddies, go sit with them. I think we're doing just boys and girls, so not doing co-ed. Um, try and find a group of like five or six or seven people. Um, it's 8.07, so probably around 8, 8.32, 8.37-ish. Be wrapping up. We're going to have some questions on the screen. We think that these small groups are going to be a really, really great way of trying to trying to not just hear a message and walk away unchanged, but to hear something and then be prompted and to discuss it with other people and, and, and talk about what we're thinking ourselves and draw other people out. So in your small groups, as you go through these questions, um, this is an awesome opportunity to maybe open up to someone new or talk about your own life or um, just maybe even just sitting with the Lord and trying to figure out, man, what is really going on in my heart? What am I putting my trust in? What am I tempted to trust in addition, in addition to Jesus? Um, yeah, so you guys have 25, 30-ish minutes. So after that, we'll see you at Sienkowski.